Chapter Eight of East by West by Henry W. Lucy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Ruth Golding. Chapter Eight: The Mormon President at Home. Mister John Taylor, President of the Mormon Church and State, lives in a fine house within a few minutes' walk of the Tabernacle. Brigham Young first selected this spot as a residence living in earlier years in the Lion House immediately opposite. This house is so called because it has a plaster cast of a lion over the porch. It is a very inadequate lion in point of size, but it is big enough to give the house a name, just as the cast of a beehive on the next door serves to name it. Both these houses are occupied by the family of the late prophet. A much larger and showier house over the way in which President Taylor lives is popularly known as the Amelia Palace, the current impression being that it was specially built for Brigham Young's favourite wife. This is, however, a story resolutely denied by high authorities, it being plainly contrary to the spirit of Mormonism that one wife should be exalted above the rest. The Amelia theory is quietly ignored and the house that has come to be recognised as the official residence of the President is, or should be, known as Garda House. It is a building of somewhat florid style, but is roomy and convenient. The drawing-room, where the President courteously received me, is a large double room facing the road. It had not about it the knick-knacks and careful colouring of an English drawing-room, but it looked very comfortable, with a large coal fire burning in an open grate. There were one or two oil paintings on the wall. Faust talking to Marguerite was the somewhat striking subject of one which held the principal place. The President is about seventy years of age, but his tall, powerful figure shows little sign of advancing years. His hair, snow-white, sets off a strong, kindly, and still ruddy face. Like all the officers of the church, the President has earned his living by the sweat of his brow. Since he was elected to the presidency, he has, of course, given up his farm, a fixed salary being attached to his office. The tendency to pay officers of the church appears to increase as the revenues grow fatter. The bishops, formerly voluntary workers, now, I understand, receive a small pecuniary acknowledgment of their labours. The revenues of the church and state are drawn upon very simple principles. The system of tithes has answered all financial purposes in Utah. It is a kind of income tax, at the unvarying rate of two shillings in the pound. Practically it comes to much more than that since a tithe is taken not on the net income, but on the gross produce. This seems a little heavy, and a remark dropped by one of the apostles at the conference hinted that tithes were not coming in so readily as they should. Mr. Taylor, however, assures me there is no difficulty in the matter. The tax is not compulsory. No process would issue if it were not forthcoming but I suspect that, as in the case of the missionary who might turn a deaf ear to the call to foreign parts, things would be made uncommonly hot for the defaulter. The President furnished me with some interesting statistics of the present strength of the Mormon settlement. 
It consists of one president, eleven apostles, fifty-eight patriarchs, three thousand eight hundred and eighty-five seventies, three thousand one hundred and fifty-three high priests, eleven thousand seven hundred and ninety-four elders, one thousand four hundred and ninety-eight bishops, and four thousand four hundred and nine deacons. As there are only twenty-three thousand one hundred and ninety families, it will be seen that there is about one and a fifth of this agglomeration of dignities to each family. The total number of members is 127,294. There are, I was not surprised to hear, not less than 37,754 children under eight years of age, of whom 2,335 have been born within the last six months. During the same period, there have been 339 marriages. 2,350 new members have been admitted within six months, whilst 850 have passed away, showing a decided increase in the strength of the church. Of these absentees, 85 have been excommunicated, generally, as I hear from another and Gentile source, after they have voluntarily withdrawn from membership. On the subject of marriages, the President spoke strongly and without reserve. He never used the word polygamy, except with the rider, as the world calls it. Mr. Woodruff, in his address to the conference, also declining to use the obnoxious word, described the practice as the patriarchal order of marriage. The President insisted that it was the order of celestial marriage. He anxiously explained that whilst the world made marriages for time, the Mormons married for eternity. You marry, he said, for better or for worse, till death do you part. Our marriages, made on earth, continue in heaven, and man and wife shall live together hereafter as they are joined now. It did not seem to occur to him that this was not a prospect that would recommend itself in all households, but I did not open that view of the question. It is the practice of polygamy which makes Mormonism especially obnoxious in the eyes of the world, and it is on this that the government of the United States has joined issue with the settlers. An act has been passed declaring that all who lived or have lived in marital relation with more than one person shall forfeit electoral rights. The act was so worded as to strike at both sexes, the intention being to disfranchise Mormons and get the whole machinery of office in the territory in the hands of the small minority of the Gentiles. After this, Mormonism might be harried out of Utah, as it was thirty-seven years ago, hounded out of Illinois. For the better carrying out of the purpose, commissioners appointed under the Act were sent down to Utah, and prescribed an oath to be administered to all Mormons before they are allowed to vote, requiring them to swear that they were not polygamists. This had the effect of keeping away thousands from the poll, but that had no serious bearing upon the result, since at the last election all the Mormon candidates were carried at the head of the poll by the vote of the one-wived saints. It is to a continuation of this condition of affairs that President Taylor looks, to enable him to baffle the efforts of the United States legislature. 
If the worst comes to the worst, he said, we shall be able to carry on. Our population is yearly increasing, and we can always keep a sufficient number qualified by the United States law, should it be established as law, to carry everything. But we don't mean to let matters slide as far as that without a good fight. At the present time there are several cases pending in the courts by which it has been determined to test the legality of the action of the United States. There Edmunds Act, the President said, is ex post facto, and I do not know any civilized country where laws are deliberately so made. The United States say that everyone who has entered into marital relations with more than one person shall be disfranchised. Very well. That is a good or a bad law, but in any case it can touch only cases which arise after it has become law. Here there are tens of thousands of men who entered into the state of celestial marriage years before this act was passed. You can't go back on them and find them guilty of doing what was not declared illegal at the time of the act. The commissioners have gone even further. They have imposed an oath as a preliminary to a man or woman voting. But it is against the Constitution of the United States to impose a test oath in respect of the exercise of the franchise. Thus you have the commissioners performing an illegal act under an unconstitutional law. That's a double plea we shall submit, if necessary, to the Supreme Court of the United States. The President spoke with great bitterness of the allegation that the people of the United States were chiefly influenced in this crusade by love of morality. Morality, he urged at some length, was best conserved by the peculiar institution of Mormonism. But look how this test oath works in the cause of morality, he said. There is in this city a gentleman of prominent position and blameless life, who at one time, though now a widower, lived in a state of celestial marriage. His son was appointed registrar of the district, and when this act was passed, he informed his father that he could not conscientiously enter his name on the register. The very same day, a married man living in open adultery applied for registration, and no objection was taken. He, you see, was not living in marital relation with more than one woman. The United States, whilst striking at our marriages, carefully leaves scatheless the man who keeps a mistress. About the same time, a notorious woman at the head of her bagno applied to be registered, and this moral law placing no bar in the way, it was done so much for the morality side of the question. The President talks with quiet assurance of the future of Mormonism. The Church is increasing in numbers and the State in wealth. There is this cloud which rises over the United States and is even now bigger than a man's hand. But, the President says, we have always had trouble with the world and things are not nearly so bad now as they were when the blood of Joseph Smith cried freshly from the ground, and we, driven out by Christians, went forth beyond the bounds of civilization to found a home and a nation. 
when I used to go out as a missionary, and tramping through some remote, unfriendly country, did not know where I should get a crust of bread for my supper, or a covered corner in which to lay my head, I used to pray to God, and I always had enough to eat. That is what we do now in this time of trial. The world is against us, but we trust in God. And keep our powder dry, I said thinking of the skill with which the weak points in the armour of the United States legislature had been picked out for attack. Yes, that is God's will, the President answered, in the grave, quiet tones he had spoken throughout. We shall do our best, and never give up the fight as long as a man remains among us. But it will all be his direction, and with the consciousness that we are pleasing him. I have throughout given the President's views in his own words, but no description could convey a just idea of the quiet assurance and tone of simple confidence with which they were spoken. This Westmoreland yeoman evidently has faith of a kind that removes mountains, and it is in measure shared by all his people. The final struggle with Mormonism, upon which the United States are bent, is likely to prove a tough one. End of chapter 8